I turn your attention this morning to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Peter, the epistle written by the Apostle Peter, chapter 1, reading verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Peter is saying, I want to put you in remembrance of things, though I know that you are established in the present truth. And I know that you already know what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say it again because I don't want you to forget it. Yea, I think it meet, or I think it prudent, as long as I am in this tabernacle or in this flesh, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. I want to speak today for the few moments that I have with you on this simple subject, a place of remembrance. A place of remembrance. Under the reading of the Word of God, everybody said in Jesus' name. name. You may be seated and thank you for standing. Fifty-three times in 52 verses the word remembrance is found in the King James Version. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Lord makes it clear that He is concerned about the way that we remember things. In the Old and in the New Testament, the word memorial is often attached to the word remembrance. In the Old Testament, the Lord instructed Moses to write a book of memorial for a remembrance. He instructed Joshua to put large rocks in the Jordan River when they had come over that raging river to defeat Jericho. And he said, I want you to put these large boulders in the river and I want you to make a memorial so that future generations will remember the miracle. In the New Testament, the book of Acts records that the prayers of a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius came up before the Lord as a memorial. Peter explained then to the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and verse 31 with these words, the prayers of Cornelius are heard and they are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Amen. I'm glad that God remembers our prayers. In the gospel of Luke, as the Lord broke the bread at the last supper, he said, and I quote, Take and eat, this is my body that is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. My friend, the Lord cares about how things are remembered. But I would add to that today that we also care how things are remembered. The Washington Mall is lined with beautiful memorials as a place of remembrance. The beautiful World War II Memorial, the Korean War Memorial of soldiers trudging through a field, the Black 
granite wall of seemingly endless names reminds us of the sacrifices of the Vietnam War, the Washington Monument, the Jefferson Memorial, and the Lincoln Memorial all tell their stories with resonating rhymes of remembrance. And you can't visit without reflecting and remembering. I'll never forget when I took my young twin sons, I think they were about five or six years old at the time, and I took them to the Lincoln Memorial, and as we sat on those steps looking out over toward the Capitol, over that great reflecting pond that's lined with the great buildings of the Smithsonian, and I tried to paint the picture with as eloquent of terms as I could muster about what this place meant and the significance of the place and the steadfastness of Lincoln. And I said, this is the very spot where Martin Luther King Jr. gave his speech, I have a dream. And so as I was waxing what I thought was eloquent, I was so enthralled with the moment that I lost track because one of my sons had sort of scooted over toward a group of high school students that were also sitting on the steps and were looking out over and having some lessons about the Lincoln Memorial. And I noticed that my son had scooted over next to this girl that was like a senior in high school. And so when I went over there to recollect him, I heard him say, will you marry me? I don't know where he gets that from. <laughs> I, I quickly realized that th th this place of remembrance may have to wait a few more years for my sons to fully digest its significance. But you know, that place has been waiting for many, many years, telling its story to those who will listen, reminding the future generations of sacrifice and service. But it is the nature of God and the nature of man to remember, to establish a memorial to tell the story. And perhaps more than any other in the Bible, there is this poignant story of remembering that is given to us in the building of the temple, the temple that bore the name of its designer in Jerusalem. Solomon's temple was a wonder of the ancient world in its beauty and its opulence but in the modern world it is a wonder for what it stood for in the dedication of that temple Solomon said at the end of his very public prayer he said and I quote now my God let I beseech thee thine eyes be open and let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place now therefore arise O Lord God into thy resting place thou and the ark of thy strength let thy priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let thy saints rejoice in goodness, O Lord God. Turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David thy servant. Solomon was calling on a God of remembrance to establish this house as a place of remembrance. It was not by accident that David was allowed to lead Israel to a place of great military strength. But David was not allowed to build the temple. It was in his heart to do so. 
But the Lord said, you are man with blood on your hands, but I'm going to allow your son to build it. It's not by accident that Solomon became the next king after David. And yet Solomon was the son of Bathsheba. Bathsheba, the one who David committed adultery with and then had her husband killed. Solomon knew his family history. Israel knew the family history. But Solomon knew that this temple, more than anything, would have to be a monument of mercy. It would have to stand as a place of remembrance, not to remember the sins, but to remember a God that can forgive us of every sin. I stand before you today to say, let this house be a place of remembrance that we can remember that he renews his mercy every day for every one of us. He prayed this prayer that said, remember the mercies of David, thy servant. I believe more than anything that that's what the church has to be in the 21st century. It has to be a city of refuge. It has to be a place of safety. It must be a place where we are reminded that the mercy of God is greater than the mistakes of man. I feel like saying that again. It's a place that we've got to remember that the mercy of God is greater than the mistakes of man. Every time we come into this building, we ought to be reminded that God is great, but he's also good. He's not only powerful, but he is a compassionate. He is a God that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And when Solomon went to sleep that night, the Lord came to him. Second Chronicles chapter 7 records it in verse 13. The Lord said to Solomon, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence among my people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayers that are made in this place. He was quoting the very thing that Solomon had asked him for. There's nothing that gets the attention of God like his people saying, Lord, I'm asking you to hear my cry. But he didn't end it there. He went on to say, for now have I chosen and I have sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. Everybody say forever. I'm so thankful I've got something to pass down to my children and the next generation that my God is faithful. He's not just faithful in a three and a half year building campaign and a debt reduction campaign. He's not only faithful, hallelujah, in the presence that we feel of his spirit and power when we gather in this house, but my God is faithful to the next generation and the next generation. He told David, he said, I will be faithful to you and to your house. That means to your children and your children's children. And David said, I can confirm it because I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread if for no other reason than for your children say you ought to serve God and he said 
My name will be there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. This is the place, ladies and gentlemen, where we remember his name. This is the place that we remember his love. This is the place that we remember his faithfulness. Don't think for a moment that God has forgotten you or his house. More than five years ago, the United States of America was in the throes of a recession that had stymied our economy. Florida was hit hard with the slowdown of construction and tourism. Palm Bay led the nation in home foreclosures and was featured in the national news for that unenviable distinction. The trajectory of growth in the years of the building boom and the skyrocketing home values was now being reciprocated with a correction that saw the same path in reverse. In other words, the areas that had the greatest growth were now experiencing the most significant decline. In 2010, Palm Bay and all of Bavard County had ridden the roller coaster of growth and was now in the vortex of a downward spiral. In addition to that standstill in construction and house values cut in half, the shuttle program had concluded at Kennedy Space Center and the new Orion program had been gutted. And all of these factors came together and caused unemployment to rise to historic highs. This triangular strangulation caused good, hardworking people to lose their homes. Foreclosure was an unwelcomed reality for many people. And the members and the friends of First Pentecostal Church in Palm Bay were not exempt from this environment. But at the same time, in the midst of a financial fiasco, God still works. And I felt the Lord put it on my heart to pay off the mortgage and to be debt-free as a church. And I, yet I, I resisted God. I resisted good advice. And I resisted even my own fears in that order over a period of 14 months. For churches to be debt-free, the extra giving comes from the members of the local assembly. How? How? How could I ask people to give over and above their usual donations to pay off a church that was not in a financial crisis when many were facing the loss of their own homes and their own jobs? I argued with God, but he wouldn't let me off the hook. He challenged me with this revelation. If my vehicle for a financial blessing is based on giving by faith, then your pride and your fear hinders me from blessing my people. That'll keep you up at night. Being trained in law school, I countered with this. But this is not the right time to issue such a challenge. He concluded this, the discussion with this mandate. Do it now in an adverse environment, and I will show my power. Let me tell you something about God. He likes to work in impossible situations. If you've got an impossible situation, you are a candidate for a miracle-working God. If you can do it on your own, God will let you do it on your own. But if you say, God, I've got nowhere else to go. I've got nowhere else to turn. I need a miracle-working prayer answering God. You come to the right place. Woo! Hallelujah! I say this to bring glory to God, not to bring glory to us. This was a God thing from the front to the end. We launched a stewardship campaign in the winter of 2012 that we called Breaking the Chain. Our goal was to pay off a church mortgage of close to $1.5 million and to break the chains of debt. Paying off that mortgage in three years as opposed to 25 years which was left on the mortgage would save us $1 million in interest finances that could be put in missions and other ministries rather than given to the bank. 
The Bible says that God fulfilled his promise to Abraham that Israel would multiply into a great nation during the 400 years that the Hebrew children were in captivity in Egypt. He fulfills promises to his people in adverse environments. I'm hoping that point sinks through. A hostile environment is the opportunity for God to work. The scripture also reminds us that the borrower is servant to the lender. So based on biblical principles, we begin to give by faith. We were startled by the immediate results. One testimony after another dotted the early months of 2012 as people began to get their jobs back and their homes back. The sacrificial giving became joyous giving as God showed his mighty hand of power. Members who were supposed to be let go from their employment would show up to interview with their boss only to be told that they were getting a raise, they were being promoted, and they were being given bonuses at that very moment that would have paid the entire last year's salary. You can't outgive God. The reports produced momentum that resulted in sustained commitment. Our original plan was to invest in additional ministries when the debt was completed. But our timetable was once again turned on its head. Opportunities came to us right away to open more campuses in South Brevard. Global mission needs and local community projects beckoned us. And so during this time of sacrifice, we built six churches and one orphanage in third world countries. They said it couldn't be done, but with God, all things are possible. We were blessed to start three more church campuses and to open the second largest food bank in Bavard County, Hands for Healing, feeding 500 families a week. And then to put all of it together and to put it all into perspective, during the last week of December in 2015, just one month ago, we faced the final link in the chain as we had reduced the debt of $1.5 million to $30,000. Early Monday morning on December the 28th, I was praying about the right path to take as we were still several thousand dollars short of our goal. And while I was praying in the early morning, I got a text from a family in this church who did not know what the remaining balance was, who did not know how much money we still had left after the Sunday's offering to know what we could pay and be debt-free at the end of the year. But at the exact time that we were praying and the exact amount, I got a text from a family who's never, ever done it before like this and said, Pastor Myers, we'd like to meet with you. We want to give a donation to First Pentecostal Church to pay off the Breaking the Chains campaign. And ladies and gentlemen, it was for the exact amount that was still due. that there was something important about this event and God reminded me in scripture of a place in Hebrews chapter 12 that says he is the author and the finisher of our faith the work that he has begun he will finish so the important lesson that the Lord I believe gave me at that 11th hour at the end of December in 2015 is that don't ever forget that this was a miracle from the very beginning to the end. I don't know what miracle God has done in your life, but I'm here to tell you that God wants you to remember it. I said God wants you to remember it. He wants you to call to remembrance every time he's healed your body. He wants you to call to remembrance every time he sets you free. He wants you to call to remembrance what he's done for you and your family.
And as you stand to your feet, the question we must ask us today is how do we demonstrate that remembrance? David said in Psalms, sing unto the Lord, O ye saints. Give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Ladies and gentlemen, our praise and worship of God is a remembrance. In Psalm 6, David said, in the grave, who will give thee thanks? There is no remembrance of thee in death. If you ever get sick unto death, you need to pray that prayer. God, if you don't raise me up, I'm not going to be able to praise you. Now, if you hadn't praised him when you were healthy, you don't have any credibility with God on that prayer. But if you praised him when you were tired, if you praised him when you were discouraged, if you praised him when you lost your job, if you praised him when you lost your house, you can say, God, I'm calling to remembrance that if you'll give me strength, I can praise you one more time. In John 14, Jesus said, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. If you need help remembering, the Holy Ghost will help you. I can remember just driving to school as a young boy with my dad. All of a sudden, we'd just be going down wherever we were going, Babcock or Palm Bay River. And it was morning. I was still trying to wake up. And all of a sudden, my dad be driving, had that great big booming voice, you know, kind of quiet. I'm thinking about tests or what I may have at school, wondering about what the day was to hold. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my dad would say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> about give me a heart attack. We'd settle down from that and go on our way. We'd turn to another corner, all of a sudden my dad's like, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Thank you, Brother Mike. Now I'm doing, I've become my dad. I do the same thing now with my kids. You ever been with anybody that just, or maybe you've done it. You just remember something God has done. Good God Almighty. You just remember his faithfulness. You just remember that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When I think of his goodness and all he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. Come on, is there anybody in the house at First Pentecostal? you got to praise, hallelujah. Can you think of something that God has done for you? You ought to lift your hands right now and you ought to lift your voice. Come on, call to remembrance. This is the place of remembrance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When I think of your goodness, 
Thank you, Jesus. We remember your goodness. We remember your faithfulness. We remember your greatness. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, and been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, there's nothing we celebrate more in this church or in any campus than a person coming. The Bible says that the angels of heaven rejoice when one person comes to repentance. If you need special prayer in your body or a situation you're facing, I invite you to come forward and stand at this altar. The ministers will pray with you. We have someone that's being baptized from the Beachside campus. Brother Scott's going to be baptizing. Those of you, oh yeah, that's right. That's what it's all about. And those of you that can, and if you want to begin to make your way over to the field that is in front of the Life Center, we will meet you over there in just a few moments, and we'll have our mortgage burning, and then from there we'll go into our ministry fair. Amen. Turn around and give somebody a high five and say, I can't ever forget how good God's been to me. God bless you in Jesus' name. to see. 